Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. <sighs> okay, let's read us some Dracula. Oh, that is good reading wine. It's a Malbec. I really love Malbec. Um, it's one of my favorites. I only really enjoy red wine and champagne. I don't really enjoy white wine. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean that I've turned it down. But, you know, it's not my preferred. Anyway, this is really good. And I need another sip if I'm going to do this reading. Mm. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay. <clears throat> well, when last we left the Scooby gang, as I like to think of them, I do think of them as a sort of a proto Scooby gang. You know, they get together, they chase a monster. They don't exactly pull its head off at the end, but you know, close. Anyway. Uh, Dr. Seward had managed to yet again capture Renfield. Mina was off in Budapest. Uh, I like to say it that way when I'm reading this book because it's spelled that way in this book. I've always heard it pronounced Budapest, but you know, whatever works. And, uh, Lucy has been left on her own with... Arthur on his way to her, something like that. Anyway, let's get back into it. Lucy with Stenra's Diary. <clears throat> Hillingham, 24 August. I must imitate Mina and keep writing things down. Then we can have long talks when we do meet. I wonder when it will be. I wish she were with me again, for I feel so unhappy. Last night I seemed to be dreaming again, just as I was at Whitby. Perhaps it is the change of air or getting home again. It is all dark and horrid to me, for I can remember nothing. But I am full of vague fear, and I feel so weak and worn out. When Arthur came to lunch, he looked quite grieved when he saw me, and I hadn't the spirit to try to be cheerful. I wonder if I could sleep in Mother's room tonight. I shall make an excuse and try. 25 August. Another bad night. Mother did not seem to take to my proposal. She seems not too well herself, and doubtless she fears to worry me. I tried to keep awake and succeeded for a while, but when the clock struck twelve, it waked me from a doze, so I must have been falling asleep. There was a sort of scratching or flapping at the window, but I did not mind it, and as I remember no more, I suppose I must then have fallen asleep. 
More bad dreams. I wish I could remember them. This morning I am horribly weak. My face is ghastly pale and my throat pains me. It must be something wrong with my lungs, for I don't seem ever to get enough air. I shall try to cheer up when Arthur comes, or else I know he will be miserable to see me so. Letter, Arthur Holmwood to Dr. Seward, Albemarle Hotel, 31 August. My dear Jack, I want you to do me a favor. Lucy is ill. That is, she has no special disease, but she looks awful and is getting worse every day. I have asked her if there is any cause. I do not dare to ask her mother, for to disturb the poor lady's mind about her daughter in her present state of health would be fatal. Mrs. Westenra has confided to me that her doom is spoken, disease of the heart, though poor Lucy does not know it yet. I am sure that there is something preying on my dear girl's mind. I am almost distracted when I think of her. To look at her gives me a pang. I told her I should ask you to see her, and though she demurred at first, I know why, old fellow. She finally consented. It will be a painful task for you, I know, old friend, but it is for her sake. Then I must not hesitate to ask, or you to act. You are to come to lunch at Hillingham tomorrow, two o'clock, so as not to arouse any suspicion, Mrs. Westenra, and after lunch Lucy will take an opportunity of being alone with you. I shall come in for tea, and we can go away together. I am filled with anxiety and want to consult with you alone as soon as I can after you have seen her. Do not fail. Arthur. Telegram, Arthur Holmwood to Seward. 1 September. I am summoned to see my father, who is worse. I am writing. Write me fully by tonight's post to ring. Wire me if necessary. Letter from Dr. Seward to Arthur Holmwood. 2 September. My dear old fellow, with regard to Miss Westenra's health, I hasten to let you know at once that in my opinion there is not any functional disturbance or any malady that I know of. At the same time, I am not by any means satisfied with her appearance. She is woefully different from what she was when I saw her last. Of course, you must bear in mind that I did not have full opportunity of examination, such as I should wish. Our very friendship makes a little difficulty, which not even medical science or custom can bridge over. I'd better tell you exactly what happened, leaving you to draw, in a measure, your own conclusions. I shall then say what I have done and propose doing. I found Miss Westenren seemingly gay spirits. Her mother was present, and in a few seconds I made up my mind that she was trying all she knew to mislead her mother and prevent her from being anxious. I have no doubt she guesses, if she does not know, what need of caution there is. We lunched alone, and as we all exerted ourselves to be cheerful, we got, as some kind of reward for our labors, some real cheerfulness amongst us. Then Mrs. Westenra went to lie down, and Lucy was left with me. We went into her boudoir, until we got there her gaiety remained, for the servants were coming and going. As soon as the door was closed, however, the mask fell from her face, and she sank down into a chair with a great sigh, and hid her eyes with her hand. When I saw that her high spirits had failed, I once took advantage of her reaction to make a diagnosis. She said to me very sweetly, I cannot tell you how I loathe talking about myself. I reminded her that a doctor's confidence was sacred, but that you were grievously anxious about her. She caught on to my meaning at once and settled that matter in a word. Tell Arthur everything you choose. I do not care for myself, but all for him. So I am quite free. 
I could easily see that she is somewhat bloodless, but I could not see the usual anemic signs, and by chance I was actually able to test the quality of her blood. For in opening a window, which was stiff, a cord gave way, and she cut her hand slightly with broken glass. It was a slight matter in itself, but it gave me an evident chance, and I secured a few drops of the blood and have analyzed them. The qualitative analysis gives a quite normal condition and shows, I should infer, in itself a vigorous state of health. In other physical matters, I was quite satisfied that there is no need for anxiety. But as there must be a cause somewhere, I have come to the conclusion that it must be something mental. She complains of difficulty in breathing satisfactorily at times, and of heavy lethargic sleep, with dreams that frighten her, but regarding which she can remember nothing. She says that as a child she used to walk in her sleep, and that when in Whitby the habit came back, and that once she walked out in the night and went to East Cliff where Miss Murray found her, but she assures me that of late the habit has not returned. I am in doubt, and so have done the best thing I know of. I have written to my old friend and master, Professor Van Helsing of Amsterdam, who knows as much about obscure diseases as anyone in the world. I have asked him to come over, and as he told me that all things were to be at your charge, I have mentioned to him who you are and your relations to Miss Westenra. This, my dear fellow, is in obedience to your wishes, for I am only too proud and happy to do anything I can for her. Van Helsing would, I know, do anything for me for a personal reason, so no matter on what ground he comes, we must accept his wishes. He is a seemingly arbitrary man, but this is because he knows what he is talking about better than anyone else. He is a philosopher and a metaphysician, and one of the most advanced scientists of his day, and he has, I believe, an absolutely open mind. This, with an iron nerve, a temper of the ice brook, an indomitable resolution, self-command, and toleration exalted from virtues to blessings, and the kindliest and truest heart that beats. These form his equipment for the noble work that he is doing for mankind, work both in theory and practice, for his views are as wide as his all-embracing sympathy. I, let you, I tell you these facts that you may know why I have such confidence in him. I've asked him to come at once. I shall see Miss Westenra tomorrow again. She is to meet me at the stores, so that I may not alarm her mother by too early a repetition of my call. Yours always, John Seward. Letter, Abraham Van Helsing, M.D., D.P.H.D. Lit., etc., etc., to Dr. Seward. 2 September. My good friend, when I have received your letter, I am already coming to you. By good fortune, I can leave just at once without wrong to any of those who have trusted me. Were fortune others, and it were bad for those who have trusted, for I come to my friend when he call me to aid those he holds dear. Tell your friend that when that time you suck from my wound so swiftly the poison of the gangrene from that knife that her other friend, too nervous, let slip, you did more for him when he wants my aids, and you call for them than all his great fortune could do. But it is pleasure added to do for him, your friend. Wow, I'm really doing a bad job of reading Van Helsing. But it is pleasure added to do for him, your friend. It is to you that I come. Have then rooms for me at the Great Eastern Hotel, so that I may be near to hand. And please it so arrange that we may see the young lady not too late on tomorrow, for it is likely that I may have to return here that night. But if you need be... But if need be, I shall come again in three days, and stay longer if it must. Till then, goodbye, my friend John Van Helsing. Letter, Dr. Seward, to Honorable Arthur Homewood. 3 September. My dear Art, 
Van Helsing has come and gone. He came on with me to Hillingham and found that by Lucy's discretion, her mother was lunching out so that we were alone with her. Van Helsing made a very careful examination of the patient. He is to report to me, and I shall advise you, for of course I was not present all the time. He is, I fear, much concerned, but says he must think. When I told him of our friendship and how you trust to me in the matter, he said, You must tell him all you think. Tell him what I think, if you can guess it, if you will. Nay, I am not jesting. This is no jest, but life and death, perhaps more. I asked what he meant by that, for he was very serious. This was when we had come back to town, and he was having a cup of tea before starting on his return to Amsterdam. He would not give me any further clue. You must not be angry with me, Art, because his very reticence means that all his brains are working for her good. He will speak plainly enough when the time comes, be sure. So I told him I would simply write an account of our visit, just as if I were doing a descriptive special article for the Daily Telegraph. He seemed not to notice, but remarked that he smuts in London... No, he remarked that these smuts in London were not quite so bad as they used to be when he was a student here. I am to get his report tomorrow if he can possibly make it. In any case, I am to have a letter. Well, as to the visit, Lucy was more cheerful than on the day I first saw her and certainly looked better. She had lost something of the ghastly look that so upset you and her breathing was normal. She was very sweet to the professor, as she always is, and tried to make him feel at ease, though I could see that the poor girl was making a hard struggle for it. I believe Van Helsing saw it too, for I saw the quick look under his bushy brows that I knew of old. Then he began to chat of all things except ourselves and diseases, and with such an infinite geniality that I could see poor Lucy's pretense of animation merge into reality. Then, without any seeming change, he brought the conversation gently round to his visit and suavely said, "'My dear young miss,' I have the so great pleasure because you are so much beloved. That is much, my dear, ever were that there that which I do not see. They told me you were down in the spirit, and that you were of a ghastly pale. To them I say, poof! And he snapped his fingers at me and went on. But you and I shall show them how wrong they are. How can he, and he pointed at me with the same look and gesture as that with which he once pointed me out to his class on, or rather after, a particular occasion which he never fails to remind me of. No, anything of a young lady's. He has his madams to play with and to bring them back to happiness, and to those that love them. It is much to do, and oh, but there are rewards, in that we can bestow such happiness. But the young ladies, he has no wife nor daughter, and the young do not tell themselves to the young, but to the old, like me, who have known so many sorrows and the causes of them. So, my dear, we will send him away to smoke the cigarette in the garden, whilst you and I will have a little talk all to ourselves. I took the hint and strolled about, and presently the professor came to the window and called me in. He looked grave, but said, I have made careful examination, but there is no functional cause. With you I agree that there has been much blood lost. It has been, but is not. But the conditions of her are in no way anemic. I have asked her to send me her maid, that I may ask just one or two questions, that so I may not chance to miss nothing. I know well what she will say, and yet there is cause. There is always cause for everything. I must go back home and think. You must send me the telegram every day, and if there be cause I shall come again. The disease, for not to be all well is a disease, interest me, and the sweet young dear, she interests me too. 
She charmed me, and for her, if not for you or disease, I come. As I tell you, he would not say a word more, even when we were alone. And so now, Art, you know all I know. I shall keep stern watch. I trust your poor father is rallying. It must be a terrible thing to you, my dear old fellow, to be placed in such a position between two people who are both so dear to you. I know your idea of duty to your father, and you are right to stick to it. But if need be, I shall send you word to come at once to Lucy. So do not be over-anxious unless you hear from me. And that is a pretty good place to stop this episode. And soon, we'll have another. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.